the world came to us with clear lines in the sand in regards to where our lives would begin and end. There is a cycle that is not meant to be broken, and a beat which ceases and is not meant to be restarted. These are the bounds within which the world as we know it operates. It should come as no surprise that those boundaries, despite their clarity and rigidity, were taken as a challenge. Broadcasting on WCRX 88.1 FM, directly from Chicago's underground, I'm Peyton Zignego with Channel Vale, lifting up that which divides the known from the unknown. It is an inherently human desire to want to push the boundaries of possibility. It is humans, after all, who are constantly shoving themselves further into a future where limitations are never concrete. Life and death will bend itself to our whims one day. We are determined. There are some aspects in life and death, however, that should not be trifled with. Of course, I would like to note that it is not up to us here at Channel Vale News Desk to tell you what to do with your spare human curiosity. I don't have any jurisdiction over your drive to thwart death or wrangle it with climbing rope and force it to do your bidding. That's your own provocative and has nothing to do with what I do. I am practicing self-management as recommended by resident field reporter Nadia. Given the line of work I've found myself in, I am prone to attempting to install myself into the lives of others when really no such need is present. The online therapist I've been seeing recently has said very much the same thing. She also spends long periods of time not speaking and instead staring at me with an eye that contains no pupil and never blinks. Nadia told me without hesitation that she thinks my online therapist was the moon projected onto my security system. <laughs> I think she's jealous that I have the courage to better myself when she clearly doesn't. No offense, Nadia. Either way, she gives great advice and charges a reasonable fee for her service. I don't see a reason to change my setup. Dear Envious Nadia should really seek to find her own source of clinical companionship. Now, if you're wondering why I'm able to so freely speak my mind today without repercussions from my beloved and behated field reporter, that's because Nadia has the day off today. In exchange for a promise that I can send her out to wherever I please when she gets back, I let her spend the day out of the office. It's been a rather uneventful week, anyway, and I figured no harm could be done by letting her take some time away. Normally, by this point in the week, our door has been all but torn off its hinges as people desperately try to tell us of the shadows nipping at their heels. I've even been, as I'm sure you've noticed, very proactive in getting the message of our services out. As bad as that is for us, I suppose it's good for the greater public. And, well, what would I be if not glad for that? It's bittersweet. You know, maybe that means I can finally try out some of the other segment ideas I've been wanting to throw out here. Nadia isn't here to stop me from doing... Oh, oh, delightful. You know what that will mean. It's time for me to take you on our very first segment of live door answering. Fun title pending. Who has time to think of a clever segment name when there is a possible story developing right outside this station? Come on, you have no choice but to follow me as I take you on this journey through the station. Not that you can see it, but use your imagination. I hope I won't have to write anything down. I don't think I have quite enough hands to hold my microphone and a pen 
and a notebook all at the same time. Something to look into to increase my effectiveness as a radio host and journalist, I uh, suppose. All right, let's see here. What do we have behind door number one? It's... It's... Nothing. No one? Oh, oh, okay. Promise, there's a package. Goody. It's time for the very first Channel Veil mail segment. This is very exciting. What groundbreaking material for us. We don't get much mail as far as packages go. Mostly odd bills, not addressed to real people. Uh, now, let me get this back to my desk so I can get a proper look at it for us. Welcome now to the Channel Vale Newsroom Mailroom. Today's mail comes in a very officially hasty package that says it has come all the way from the Miskatonic University. Now that is promising. It was a few weeks ago when we were last mentioning Arkham, Massachusetts, which is where Miskatonic University is. I thought that place wanted nothing else to do with us after they all but shunned Nadia into leaving many questions unanswered in the Gardner family's case. Maybe they've turned a new leaf? Or maybe they want to invite us back to do more investigative journalism. How fun would that be? Hmm... This box's contents are not quite what I was expecting. It appears to have a very eclectic selection of papers and a set of six tape recordings. How old school. Let's see here. Uh, ah, a page addressed directly to me. Peyton of Channel Vale. Enclosed is everything I have regarding the case of my missing colleague and the subject of his work. It's of better use to you as a tale of warning than to me as a subject of great stress. I've given you everything you need, so you should have no reason to try to find me. Be well. And it's not signed. I suppose that shouldn't surprise me. Very few people have liked to broadcast their nightmares with their name attached. Uh, well, I have no reservations about letting us break into this story together. Let's see if I can't get the first tape to play here. I have something I need to get off my chest. I, I don't know where else to go, and quite frankly, I, I don't even know if you are the right people to be telling about all this. This is all scientific, horribly warped and garbled science, but a plausible theory nonetheless. But y you folks, you deal in the skeptical, I, I don't know, I, I just... I had a colleague who worked at Miskatonic University where I attended medical school. She recently passed, but when she was working with the meteor thing, I, I remember her mentioning this news station. Don't ask why, it stuck out to me. All she had to say was negative things about you pestering her, and, well, it got unkind quickly. I'll save you the details. There's probably nothing I want less than to admit what I'm about to, uh, for the sake of what I, I just need to share. This is why I've been so careful about what you have received. No doubt it isn't the strangest way you have gotten information, if I am to understand your line of work. Though I do have to wonder if perhaps you have gotten reports into your strange little station about things related to what I've been through. If not, no doubt something interconnected will come up. But I digress. I have stalled long enough from my subject. As you can tell, I, I would rather I don't speak about him. 
fear is not nearly guttural enough of a word to explain the way I feel about Herbert West. You see, he went missing a few days ago, and now I've been finally left alone with my thoughts, and I don't quite like it. West. <sighs> we had been acquainted for years before his disappearance. We went to medical school together some 17 or so years ago, meeting in medical school at Miskatonic University in Arkham. I know you know the place. But West, he wasn't concerned with aiding the living, but rather with bringing back the dead. It started as some little project with guinea pigs and the like, but of course he soon wanted to try his theories on human beings. I can't say I thought to stop him. I actively helped the man. Actually, I was the one who helped him find a source of bodies to test his theories and concoctions. You have to see my point of view. I mean, he was really on to something. Reanimating the dead seemed an almost noble pursuit from where I was standing at the time. I, I guess I, I know better now, but hindsight speaks with clarity I never could have imagined. Oh, how the secrets swirling within Arkham reveal themselves to us. Nadia may not wish to return to that place, but with all that we've been uncovering, I find it difficult to avoid... Perhaps I shall make the trip out there soon enough myself, but I, I won't get ahead of myself here. There's still many tapes to get through, for the matter on hand. It seems like a spoken manifesto, told in six cuts. Let's see what number two has inscribed for us. West and I lost favor with the dean of the medical school, Dr. Alan Halsey, a well-known figure in Arkham, thanks to his theories. This was early into the pursuit of bringing life back into the dead. We had set up our first laboratory in the outskirts of Arkham, and from there we set out following the scent of death. West, you see, he knew we needed to be sure that we worked with those whose demise had been recent enough that there was no significant tissue decay. His theories needed them intact. There came a day when he got exactly what he had wanted. A young man had drowned and been buried promptly. We were faster than decay, we hoped, getting the deceased out from the grasp of the earth under the cover of night, leaving no trace of our work behind us. West injected his first trials of his concocted fluid, and we were made to sit and wait. It was awful to stare at the subject of your experiments and be made to sit with the rising fears of what would happen should our theories be right, but our subject be brought back wrong. After a while of that awful waiting with no response, West wanted to try another go of his experiment, so we left the thing to try putting together another formula. It was in our absence that we heard a shriek, unlike anything of this natural earth. And we ran. We heard the cries of what could only be the damned. And we ran. It was in the newspaper the following day that we discovered our laboratory burned to nothing in the night. And the grave we had left untouched had been clawed at frantically. Strange happenings unconnected to all but us. West began to grow paranoid that he was being hunted after that night. West and I went into our postgraduate work while a backdrop of death fell behind us. A great plague befell Arkham, you see. As physicians, we were constantly working, and despite ample subjects all around him, West and I only had one good opportunity to try another go at bringing the dead back. Moderate success, as we got the thing to open its eyes, but do nothing else. At least, however, no violence came our way. 
Through that summer, that was all we were able to do towards our research. Though, that summer would take the life of our supervisor, Dr. Halsey, as well. This tape appears to have been sandwiched within a newspaper article from Arkham's local paper. I'm familiar with it. Uh, The summer of sickness had the town not only plagued by disease, but an unknown assailant who would allegedly break into several homes, leaving a new trail of death. Fourteen bodies in total would turn up, sometimes partially eaten. It was on the third night of the assailant's rampage that he was finally caught, revealing an uncanny lookalike to the late Dr. Alan Halsey. According to this, he was imprisoned. It seems like this report only grows and continues to stretch itself out before us, revealing a capacious maw that's almost enticing enough to let it swallow me whole this time. With three tapes remaining and a few documents to sort through, I'll let a moment pass to digest. I also want to call Nadia to tell her how good things have gone despite her absence. She'll be so proud. With WCRX 88.1, I'm Peyton Zigneko, and this is Channel Vale. We'll be right back. Channel Vale is back from WCRX 88.1 FM, broadcasting directly from underground Chicago. We're about halfway through the contents of a box left on our doorstep. While I was organizing, I thought about reaching back out to our, well, I was going to call them friends, but I doubt they'd reciprocate those feelings. Uh, Well, the scientists I'd been speaking with in regards to our other Arkham investigation. Of course, they were disappointed in my request to have them look into non-replicatable experiments, and I doubt they'd want anything to do with reanimation of the dead. I suppose there's no harm in sending in the request to have them look over the contents of these reports anyway. I mean, there's little for me to make sense of in the detailed description of Herbert West's scientific method, or lack thereof. That may be for the best, however, considering the nature of the described experiments. So, uh... Well, my jurisdiction is clear when it comes to simply continuing this investigation. I'll stick to what I know how to do at least, and allow our mystery voice of these tapes to continue. Let's see how tape number four fares. It was seven years after I had joined in on West, as he quested to find a way to bring the dead back, when we found ourselves another place suitable for us to continue our experiments. Arkham's neighbor, Bolton, was well-suited, and we found a place to set ourselves up. West would continue to rave about how everything would work if he could just get a hold of fresh enough specimens. I often found myself haunted with the knowledge that some of our previous specimens were still about. Nameless and shambling, we had let these undead things get away from us. There was a long stint where we were unable to have the right circumstances to attempt again. All West wanted was something with enough of itself to be coherently returned. I should say I agreed. The screams of what we brought back to us still echoed in the recesses of my skull. That echo only grew in intensity when I returned back to our place in Bolton after a trip out of state. West was excited to share he'd been waiting with the perfect specimen to try again with me. According to him, a man had been traveling through the area when his heart had given up on him right as he reached our place. West had preserved him for this moment, and indeed he looked as though he slept on the slab. Our experiment began, and we started to see an unprecedented success. Color began to return to his face, and the illusion of life took hold. We were finally getting so close to the full reversal of death before the body began to flail and screech in terror as it revealed the truth of his final moments of his first life. The undead man writhed and squealed for help, 
begging the person he spent his last second with to leave him alone. His pleas with West for his life only added to what haunted me. I thought I would have been able to grow some distance between West and I when he joined the military. Of course, he would pull me in as well. I had been serving as his assistant for 12 years or so. He was determined I would stick with him, especially considering his sickly motivations for enlisting. My colleague was enticed by the call of war for no other reason other than the abundance with which he could find the sort of experimental specimens he now had at his disposal. West and I clawed ever closer to fully bringing back the dead, but the cost to my psyche was a great price I didn't wish to pay. West, on the other hand, had been dug so deep in his dedication that he now stared at the living with a look I don't wish to describe. He was calloused beyond recognition. During this time in our lives, West worked in a private section of a hospital, a place where his dark work continued undisturbed. He started working with partial pieces of subjects, keeping them fresh with a new side of his work, a mass of reptilian cell matter he kept in an incubator. All the while, he had us lay in wait for the perfect whole specimen to try a full reanimation again. This chance came when West seized hold over the body of a fellow surgeon who had incidentally worked with him on his theories of reanimation in the past. Major Sir Eric Moreland Clapham Lee was decapitated in an airplane accident, and West lacked no haste in preparing the body to be his next experiment. The head of his friend was placed in his vat of reptile cells. My colleague was eager to see what he could do with a headless body if brought back. I remember the way he looked, under sickly fluorescent lights. The headless body was injected with West's solution, and before long began to thrash with memories of its final living moments. The final sounds of the experiment was a shrill call to jump from a doomed plane that seemed to emanate from the back corner of shadows that West's cell vat stood. Though whether this was a trick of my mind, I... I don't know. I hesitate to know, as our experiment was short-lived. The building exploded. West and I, the only reported survivors. I can still hear clearly the call from that detached voice. But I... I don't know. After all we'd been through, West moved into a house in Boston. It overlooked a cemetery, of course. There was a basement laboratory, whose walls would of course bear witness to grisly experiments. This basement, however, was found to hold a secret of its own, in the form of an unearthed passageway, decades old, that connected to the cemetery. West had it covered, and that was that. Both of us had fears festering within us. I'll admit that my fear of West had grown steadily. He too harbored fears, not of himself, or of what he was capable, but fears of what remained of years of experimentation. Unaccounted for specimens of experiments he believed were still out lurking. But now he's missing, unaccounted for himself. I was there the night it happened, with him in his study when the doorbell rang. He'd been reading the paper and garnered an omen in a story about the prison one of his earliest experiments had ended up in. The report had told of a man with a wax face and a grotesquely warped bodyguard inciting a riot to let out the cannibal who'd been locked up some 16 years prior grim reminder of our shared past. The doorbell came at midnight. It was a package delivery addressed perfectly to West from Eric 
Moreland Clapham Lee. He was resolute in his decision to incinerate the box in the basement. As we worked to get rid of the thing, the plaster that had covered that storied passageway began to chip away at itself from the other side. It tore itself open to reveal a group of shambling, humanityless figures led by a man bearing a head made of wax and wearing an officer's uniform. The derelict gaggle said nothing as they tore West apart with an animalistic glee. The last sight I recall was West's head, frozen in terror. I woke up in the basement, alone. The police thought I had killed West, but I swore to them, as I do to you now, that I had nothing to do with his disappearance. They took his life as he tried to return theirs. That shambling group of undead. West brought his own end about him. That's all I have to say. That brings about the conclusion of our mysterious new collection of tapes. To toy with the very fundamental fabric of our world, the undoubted separation between life and death, that is a feat that should perhaps have remained unattempted. Of course, I suppose that is an easy conclusion to come to, given what we've just had recounted to us. There are clear boundaries in this world that should remain uncontested. We deal in fickle absolutes, but this, the creation of a second life from death, brings about a darkness that even we can't say was worthwhile. I think I shall send this account to our scientist partners. I hope they think we can be partners. Not for them to replicate, but to see if I can get scientific perspective from them. Nadia has a lot to catch up on when she returns, but I hope her day off was as undisturbed as the night settling in around us. Go out and enjoy a night free from shambling things in the dark. It's the least you deserve. As the stars and my great glowing therapist watch over you, I hope the night treats you well. If you miss my voice the second it leaves your radio waves, I do have a solution to offer before I let you set sail away from my audio harbor. Channel Vale is now uploading all of our broadcasts on the streaming platform of your choice. All you must do is search for us under the name Channel Vale. That's Vale, spelled V-E-I-L. From there, you have access to all past broadcasts. A special treat from us to you. Now, I do hope you'll return to hear my voice live again next week. Broadcasting, as always, from Chicago's underground... This has been Channel Vale. Today's newscast was brought to you by WCRX 88.1 FM and Herbert West, Reanimator, by H.P. Lovecraft. I've been Peyton Zignego, letting the veil between you and the world of the unknown once again slide back into place. For now, thank you so very much for listening. <laughs>